to the stage our panel on federal processes for conservation and habitat protection. Tatalach. Good afternoon. Please take your seats. So, um, greetings and welcome to this panel. This is a panel on federal processes uh, for conservation and habitat protection. My name is Zach Penny, and I'm NOAA's first ever, but hopefully not last, senior advisor on fisheries and tribal engagement. I'm a Nimipu tribal member from the Columbia River Basin. I'm a long ways from home. I miss home very much. Uh, but I'm going to be today's moderator and question asker for this panel, and we have about 20 minutes, so we're going to be very speedy. Uh, this panel will highlight the presidential memorandum on restoring healthy and abundant salmon, steelhead, and other native fish populations in the Columbia River Basin, the Army Corps' co-stewardship and co-management efforts, and NOAA and the Environmental Protection uh, Agency's initiatives on protecting and restoring habitats. So in today's panel, we'll hear from our esteemed panel, uh, federal and tribal leaders, um, as this panel is shorter, we won't be able to take questions, unfortunately. So to start, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce our panel and just write the questions. So uh, we have the chairman of the Nez Perce tribe, Shannon Wheeler. We have John Podesta, the senior advisor for the, to the president for clean energy, innovation, implementation. We also have one of my bosses, the Honorable Janie Bavishi, Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Oceans and Atmosphere and the Deputy Administrator for NOAA. We also have the Honorable Mike Connor, Assistant Secretary for the Army Corps of Civil, for Civil Works. And we also, last but not least, for the Environmental Protection Agency, Deputy Administrator Janet McCabe. So let's get this conversation started. The first question is for you, Chairman Wheeler. This administration has worked hard to empower federal agencies to support tribes and to fix problems the tribes did not create. Something that you and I have probably both heard from Columbia River Tribal Elders Leadership in the commission is that if you take care of the resources, like salmon, they'll take care of you. And it is our role as Indian people to help speak for those that cannot speak. Can you speak to what taking care of the resources and speaking for the salmon means to you in the context of the Columbia River Basin, and why it is so important for the U.S. government, Congress, and the non-tribal public to come together in adapting for and restoring salmon and other native fish? Well, thank you very much for that question. Uh, Zach, and, and I definitely appreciate being asked to be on this panel and sit with uh, fellow executors of the rule of law. And as we, as we think about that and our, our position as tribal nations when it comes to the land, when it comes to the water, and, and it comes to the treaties, our, our inherent rights that we have uh, to the land, or for us we call Tamalwit, it's our relationship to the land, the unwritten laws. Uh, for our for our sake, uh, in our treaty, what we carried to in Article 3 of our Treaty of 1855 was this way of life. And that's our obligation to the salmon and to the other animal creatures that gave themselves to us. Uh, and then they lost their voice. Uh, and so it was up for us to pick that up and to carry that. And so our leaders of the past took that and, and brought that forward. So under under Article 3 of the treaty... Uh, the relationship that we have, the trust relationship that we have with the federal government, we're as obligated to the government as the government is obligated to us. And so when we come together as two sovereigns in this relationship that we call obverse, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, like a coin. If you have one, on one side of the coin, you have the United States. On the other side, you have, you have the Nez Perce. But we're minted of the same coin for mutual benefit. And we come together under mutual uh, agreement 
so that one side doesn't burden the other side. And that's what that relationship truly is about, is that we don't want to burden the United States of America by the things that we do. And we would expect the United States not to burden us. So as it come, when it comes to salmon and the recovery of salmon and, and uh, uh, the demise of salmon currently in the state that they're facing right now with uh, um, extinction uh, looming along with the climate crisis, then we come to the United States as a friend. We come to the United States as a partner and we say, hey, something that you're doing, that you've done to a system, to the river system, like the Columbia River System of Operation and the dams that operate on that, have uh, declined these numbers of salmon. And so since they've declined, we're here to let you know that that's burdening us. And we're here to solve this together, just like we did in 1855, just like we're doing today. So as we look at treaty, we should look at it mutually. It should be, there should be a mutual accounting standard that the United States has that's consistent with the Nespers tribe. And so with that, then what that does is that enforces the rule of law and that speaks to the Constitution of the United States of America. And when it speaks to the Constitution of the United States of America, Article 6, Clause 2, that's where our treaty sits. And so under that, the rule of law, that's what speaks to all federal agencies and that trust responsibility. So we're thankful for this administration and the work that they're doing as they continue to give this a chance, give this relationship a chance, and to change it to what it should be. There's a, there's a mutual treaty bridge here that has been eroded over the course of time. Now it's being repaired and replaced by this administration, and we're thankful for each and every one of you guys for doing your part. Katsiaia. Thank you, Chairman. The next question is for you, Honorable Assistant Secretary Connor. Throughout the evolution of this nation, tribes have needed to adapt to infrastructure development and landscape changes with or without their consultation. And now, while we can't change history, we can work to correct past wrongs. What are some initiatives that the Army Corps has been working on to conserve, to protect, and restore habitats in partnership with tribal nations? Great question, um, because it's the question that tribal leaders constantly ask me in my role overseeing the Army Corps of Engineers. So I want to pick up on the themes that uh, Chairman Wheeler uh, talked about friendship, partnership, and then add in that trustee role that we have. So as a Native appointee, I very much appreciate that on January 26th of 2021, the President immediately set the tone for how we would conduct tribal policy in this country with strong commitments to consultation, nation-to-nation relationships. Uh, and so that speaks to an expansive view of what the trust responsibility can be and should be. Uh, and that's my job to then integrate that into how the Army Corps of Engineers works with, with tribal nations. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we are embarking upon uh, redefining, uh, reinvigorating programs and activities that we have. And it starts with the foundation of tribal consultation. So yesterday I signed a new directive for the Army Corps to implement a new tribal consultation policy, uh, which will hold us accountable to that uh, regular, robust, and meaningful consultation that the president has asked us uh, to do. And that's the foundation for a number of uh, strong initiatives that we have to get past just consultation, just trying to do, do no harm, to the point where we're trying to partner up with tribal nations, advance your interests, and protect your communities the way we have other communities. And so we've got a number of initiatives in place. Uh, we did the first major civil works, Army Civil Works program, $100 million dollars, 
for the pueblos of Okeowinge and Santa Clara uh, Aquatic Ecosystem Restoration Project that will really reestablish hydrologic uh, continuity in the Rio Grande Basin, restore habitat, native plants that are critical to the cultural identities of those tribes. Major restoration effort there. Uh, Last week, I signed a new directive to expand the scope of our tribal partnership program uh, to where we're not just doing traditional civil works activities, we're working to protect cultural and natural resources for tribes. Numerous examples. We just finished a project at the Lower Brule Sioux Tribe uh, that is basically uh, arresting erosion from the Missouri River of tribal lands. There's not enough tribal lands in the first place. We can't let them erode. Uh, this is going to reinvigorate a site that has habit, new habitats and recreation activities for tribal members. Uh, I just signed an agreement a month ago with uh, my brother, uh, Governor Lewis, at the Gila River Indian Community. Uh, we're going to fund and work on the first phase of solar panels on their irrigation canals. This is uh, advancing uh, Governor Lewis's vision for a blue-green economy uh, for the community. So we're embarking on an expansive role of view of our tribal partnership program Uh, And then uh, we will be moving forward with uh, new activities with respect to tribal uh, indigenous knowledge incorporation, as well as co-management activities in 2024. Thank you, Mr. Connor. Mr. Podesta, building off of what Assistant Secretary Connor just said, um, how has the historic funding provided by the Inflation Reduction Act enabled federal agencies to better support tribes through conservation, restoration, habitat protection? Well, th- uh, thanks, Zach. And, and let me follow up. And you've heard a little bit about it already. Uh, I want to start by reiterating uh, what the vice president said, which is the effects of climate change are being particularly felt by uh, on tribal lands, whether that's fires, floods, coastal erosion, heat, Uh, the disproportionate effect on tribal communities, on cultural communities, on uh, the uh, subsistence resources is profound. And that's why there's nearly a billion dollars of funding uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act that's dedicated uh, to support the work on both resilience and also the ability uh, to build out Uh, and benefit from the development of clean power and the uh, electrification of uh, tribal communities using the resources uh, of the Inflation Reduction Act. Secretary Raimondo talked about coastal resilience money, the money to restore uh, fish passageways. Uh, There's, in in addition to that, uh, substantial money at the Interior Department uh, for tribal resilience, including Uh, $40 million for the first time ever uh, to support community-driven relocation where the infrastructure of tribal communities has eroded so badly that literally the the communities have to, uh, with their own resources and with their own plans, be able to move to safer and and more uh, viable places. There's uh, money for uh, uh, building out uh, water supplies, there's money for the emergency drought that, uh, again, that the vice president mentioned that the Gila River uh, tribes are taking advantage of. Uh, the EPA has uh, set aside uh, $300 million uh, for tribes as part of their environment and climate justice grants and $150 million more for Alaskan uh, Native tribes. Uh, USDA has, is making investments uh, in rural electrification. We haven't seen... 
since the Roosevelt administration, uh, including uh, tribal rural co-ops. And uh, there's money to ensure that people who have no access to electricity uh, are able to be afforded to uh, modern electricity through DOI's program for uh, tribal electrification. Uh, And then finally, I would say that there's a couple of unique uh, uh, features of this bill. Uh, One is there's uh, a a set-aside to build out uh, solar power and wind power uh, in low-income communities and tribal communities. Uh, That's an allocated tax credit, and there's been a 200 million megawatt uh, 200 megawatt allocation to tribal communities themselves to build their own systems of solar uh, and wind power. That's an annual uh, allocation. Uh, and finally, there's a, a provision in the law which is really a first-time thing, which is for non-federal taxpayers, including tribes, there's a feature called direct pay, which normally businesses could take advantage of tax credits in this context Uh, tribal communities can build uh, renewable energy projects, geothermal projects, wind projects, solar projects, uh, and get uh, essentially a check back. Uh, It's not a competitive program. If you build the project and you apply to the Treasury Department for for this, you get a check back from the federal government for as much as 60% uh, of the cost of building those projects. Very unique. Uh, We have issued a tribal guide to the IRA, uh, to give uh, tribes access to all that information. Oh, thank you, Mr. Podesta. Um, given the time, I want to make sure we have enough time for our panelists. I really wanted to ask you about the Columbia River, but I'm going to move on to uh, Assistant Secretary Bavishi. Given the complex history and varied federal tribal relationships across the United States, how has NOAA prioritized its efforts toward conservation, stewardship, and restoration of habitat critical to the fulfillment of federal trust and treaty responsibilities to tribes, especially in the face of a changing climate? Uh, Thanks, Zach. Um, Well, first of all, I'm honored to be here. Given the limited time, I'm going to speak very quickly um, about how we're prioritizing conservation and restoration of fish populations through investments in conserving and restoring fish habitat, expanding fish hatcheries, and restoring fish passage. We're also investing in building ecological and and coastal community resilience. Um, Secretary Raimondo mentioned earlier that Uh, NOAA announced that um, 15% of our IRA money for uh, climate-ready coasts, a total of $2.6 billion, um, is set aside for tribal priorities. So that represents an almost $400 million investment. We've also uh, awarded more than $100 million in bipartisan infrastructure law funding to Pacific salmon habitat restoration priorities. And as Secretary Raimondo mentioned, there's more money coming. These funds taken together represent an important down payment uh, toward coastal resilience and restoration, as well as healthy and productive fisheries in Indian country. I'll also say that we're not just looking at the amounts of funding that we're delivering, although that's incredibly important and and we're excited that that, that we've been able to deliver these historic funds, but we're looking at how we're delivering these, these funds, listening to comments we've heard through tribal consultation and making adjustments in our own processes to make sure that we're helping to overcome traditional obstacles. Set asides for tribes help reduce the competition um, that, and, and the need for sovereign governments to compete with against and uh, compete against NGOs and funds for capacity building help support uh, tribes that uh, have l- less resources and are um, trying to advance smaller projects. 
Um, I'm just going to give two very quick examples. Through the bipartisan infrastructure law, NOAA provided $2 million to fund a project spearheaded by the Confederated Tribes of the Celeste Indians to conserve the culturally and ecologically significant Cape Foulweather headland, an icon of the central Oregon coast. And just last month, the upper Mattapani tribe, uh, Indian tribe, reacquired 853 acres of their ancestral lands in Virginia's Mattapani River in one of the first reacquisition projects of its kind. Um, we're excited about these, and we appreciate the urgency of this work given the climate impacts that tribes are facing. Um, I think I will stop there, given the times. Thank you, Janie. And the last question is for you, Deputy uh, Administrator McCabe. Because tribes are so place-based, um, I've heard the saying that we don't cultivate the land, the land cultivates us. EPA has spearheaded many efforts to protect and clean up contaminated habitats and ecosystems. What are some of the initiatives EPA has worked on to address contaminated sites, especially on tribal lands, waters, and atmosphere? Thank you, Zach. And it's great to be here on this panel with, with uh, federal colleagues and Chairman Wheeler. Um, EPA's job is to help protect, uh, clean up, and preserve clean air, clean water, and clean land. Nothing could be more place-based than that. And when it comes to working with our uh, tribes, sovereign nations, um, we uh, have a lot of really um, exciting things going on. I wanted to focus on two in particular. Um, one is the under the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. Um, as you all know, I think many of the lands uh, that, that were restored to tribes during that act were, have been contaminated, are contaminated, and that was due to no fault of the tribes. Um, and they present a, a real barrier to economic development and to full use of those resources. Um, in May of, of this year, we launched the new ANCSA, Contaminated ANCSA Land Grant Program to Alaska Native entities to help with assessment and re remediation of these contaminated parcels. And in, 20, uh, in September of this year, we announced three grants, three Alaska Native corporations um, received $2.5 million in an initial round of funding uh, that will go directly to cleaning up those sites, employing local uh, tribal people to do it, um, and return those lands to, um, to the sovereign nations uh, to whom they uh, belong. And we will have more um, grants that we will be announcing later this year and, and next year. Um, we also, um, you can do amazing things with the internet, and Secretary Raimondo is going to make sure that everybody has access to that. Um, we've launched the Contaminated ANCSA Sites Common Operating Picture and Inventory. Nothing like a good name. I'm sure there's a good acronym associated with that. This is a public dashboard that is um, the, the place where all the information related to the contaminated lands will be found. There's a story map there, and I um, really want to recommend that you go take a look at that. Another really amazing thing that we're working on with the Navajo Nation has to do with contaminated lands there um, due to um, waste from um, uh, abandoned uranium mines uh, primarily. We worked with the Indian Health Service to develop a mobile app that allows the nation to, um, to verify the location and the status of open dump sites. They're, um, they're, we've got more than 55 open dump sites that are located on that app now, and it's going to be the place where all that information is going to be located um, so that um, people will have access to that. In addition, we're working with the Department of the Interior, the Department of Energy, and various other agencies 
to uh, chart a course for uh, addressing those abandoned um, uranium mines and addressing the, the severe and unacceptable contamination that remains on those lands um, here um, uh, more than half a century after um, those mines w- were used to produce plutonium. So in addition, I just want to say that EPA, when we work on water quality all the time, um, and are very excited, especially some of our work related to the chemical 6 um, PPD quinone, um, which is, has a severe impact on salmon species. Um, and uh, there's exciting research going on there that we're doing in conjunction with our sovereign tribal partners. Thank you so much, Deputy Minister McCabe. And we did it. Uh, so as expected, that went really quick. Um, and so we do need to transition on. But I did want to thank all of our honorable, honorable panels for being here today even if it was for a short while. And um, as Chief Joseph said, good words do not last long unless they amount to something. So thank you for your leadership, your courage, and your desire to help move the needle in Indian country and make this stuff mean something. So thank you, and this concludes the panel. Katsiao, yeah.